Today on the Matt Walsh Show, we'll talk a little more about uh, Elizabeth Warren's hilarious attempts to prove that she's Native American. Why do Trump's enemies always self-destruct like this? Why are they always stepping on, on rakes? Why are they always stepping on, on landmines? Um, then we'll talk about the return of Pastor Andrew Brunson, who was freed from a Turkish prison after two years. And we'll discuss the persecution of Christians across the world and, uh, and why it's ignored in this country. All of that is coming up. Well, before we get into the uh, more important discussion, I have to say that I'm, I'm still marveling at this thing with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, ben Shapiro wrote something yesterday where he said that Trump's superpower is that he gets his opponents to say stupid things and do stupid things, uh, which is a great superpower to have, especially as we head into the midterms. And certainly to release your DNA results to prove that your great, 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 great grand uncle may have been possibly Native American or, or maybe just Mexican or Colombian or something. Well, that is a stupid thing. That is a very stupid thing. It's stupid not just because the results are so sad and they actually disprove the very thing you're trying to prove, but because this is an embarrassing subject for Warren and for the Democrats, and it's something that they should be ignoring. You know, the right approach uh, for them was just to act like this Pocahontas thing wasn't happening, to ignore it completely, call it a distraction. Uh, anytime the Republicans bring it up to say, oh, they, they, they're they talking about these silly things because they don't want to talk about uh, the uh, a plan for America. They want to talk about the economy. You know, that whole that whole thing the politicians do. But to actually bring it up yourself, I mean, that is astoundingly stupid. This is the thing you're not supposed to want to talk about. This is the embarrassing thing for you. Everyone's laughing at you. And, and that's the, as a politician, the worst thing in the world is to become a punchline. Um, that's the worst thing. You don't want people to laugh at you. They could, they could hate you. Um, they can be angry at you. They, but, but for them to laugh at you and consider you a punchline, I think that's the worst thing in the world. Um, which, which by the way, for, for, uh, for Democrats and for liberals in their opposition of Trump, by far for them, the more effective move is to make him into a punchline and to treat him like a cartoon and a caricature, which they, which they do that quite a bit. And I think that's far more effective than, but on the other hand, they also mix that in with taking him very seriously and, you know, saying, well, he's the second coming of Hitler and he's going to destroy the world and everything else. That, that's like the opposite of, of treating him as a punchline. That's taking him very, very seriously. So they're doing both things, and that it's the latter, the second one. That is not effective. It's not an effective strategy. Um, but it, it's, all, it's, all, it's all part of this, where they, he, he kind of can coax them into doing stupid things. And why did she do this stupid things? Well, th this stupid thing, well, because this is what happens when you have blind, seething hate in your heart for somebody else. And I think in any competitive environment, whether it's whether it's politics or anything else, it doesn't help to be filled with hate and rage. You don't want that because you can't think clearly in that condition. You don't have the calm, cool kind of head that you need to analyze the situation, choose the most expedient path, form a strategy and execute it. You can't do that when you're filled with hatred. It's like in, think about in football, you know, if you're a, a linebacker on a football team, it helps to play a little bit angry. It helps to be aggressive, to get pumped up, um, to have a little bit of a grudge against your opponent. But 
you can't be overcome with hatred for your opponent because then you get flustered. You make dumb decisions. You're not strategic in your thinking. So when a player is way too angry and he hates the other team, he hates another player on the other team, they, they've gotten into his head, that's when he might go and punch a guy in the head or, or tackle someone after the whistle, which may be satisfying for him in the moment, but then it detracts from his overall objective uh, of actually winning the game because then he gets the penalty. He gives a first down to the other team. And when it comes to politics, I think Trump's opponents are constantly taking personal foul penalties. They're constantly giving Trump first downs. Trump is marching up and down the field and because of penalties all the time. Um, and, and it's because they're making decisions based on sheer hatred, not strategy. Um, these are not pragmatic, strategic decisions. And in this case, I think Warren... The only thing she could think about, the only thing on her mind was that she wanted to prove Trump wrong and she wanted to try to make him look stupid. But in the process, she just made herself look stupid because that's all she could think about. She wasn't, she wasn't thinking clearly. Now, let me say something else. Um, because this whole Warren thing has brought up a conversation about uh, – Putting the politics aside for a minute, there's been a conversation about about wh when can you really say that you're part something? Everyone likes to claim in America, and this is an American thing. I'll get to that in a minute. But everyone in America likes to claim that there's that they have some kind of ethnic heritage. So people will say, "Oh, I'm Italian. I'm Irish. I'm I'm a I'm Native American. I'm French. Whatever." But when does it really count? When can you really say it? And let, let me just, and this is just a general PSA, okay, because we're on the subject. Here is the rule, I think, okay? If, you, if you're off the boat yourself, um, then obviously that counts, okay? So if you're off the boat from, from, from France, um, or I guess it would be the plane these days, then you could say that you're French. If your parents were off the boat, then that counts. If two or more grandparents are off the boat, that counts. But here's where it gets complicated. So I think that's all pretty straightforward, right? But, um, but, but here's where it gets complicated. What if, say, only one grandparent, just your paternal grandmother, was from Italy? Can you then say that you're Italian? And... It, Here's how I think we sort through that, okay? If it's only one grandparent, I think you can claim that heritage as your own if you were close with her growing up and you were around her a lot and you spent a lot of time with her. Because then you have more than just a trace of Italian DNA. Because if it's just, if it's just one grand, even, even, as, even a grandparent, if it's just one grandparent that was from this country, but then, you know, that's, when it comes to your actual, um, the actual, uh, you know, in a literal sense, the the you're, there's there's not much there, right? Uh, it's pretty diluted. But if you're around her a lot and uh, you're very close with this Italian grandmother, then you have the heritage, you have the customs, you have the culture which you, you which you would have absorbed from your Italian grandmother. And then I think in that case, it's fair to say, well, I'm part Italian, but. If your Italian grandmother died when you were three 
and all of your living relatives and the only ones you ever spent any time with were all just American, no accent, nothing, then you're American. You're not Italian-American. You're just, you're American. That's all. You're American, which, by the way, is fine. It's, it's great. It's awesome. And this is the weirdest thing about America is that everyone wants to live here, but nobody wants to be from here for some reason. Everyone wants to claim that they're from somewhere else. Well, what's wrong with just being from America? If your family has been here for generations, then you're from America. You're not from Poland. You're from America. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with having American heritage? I mean, again, if, if you've been in this country for generations and almost all of your family members are from this country, well, then that's why go around saying, oh, I'm, I'm a quarter Irish, a 10th Polish, a 13th Australian. No, you're not. You're American. None of that means anything. What do you mean you're a quarter Irish, a quarter this, a quarter? What is that? Again, unless you really grew up in a house that was just immersed in that culture, um, then fine. But if, if that if you just have a, a, a quarter, that doesn't mean you're you're American. That's what you are. And that's the thing with Warren. Her family was apparent has apparently been here in America um, for a very long time. If she can trace her blood back 300 years to find that potentially someone in her family uh, reproduced with a Native American, well, that means that she that her family's been here for a very long, for centuries. And that's something to be proud of. That is a heritage in and of itself. It's not like you can only have a heritage if you're from some other country. Like we don't have our own heritage. We, we can't, you can't have one from America. If your family has been here since the Civil War or earlier, that's really cool. That's awesome. You should be proud of that. Stop trying to erase your family history by homing in on that little fraction of some other culture that you allegedly have in your blood, but that has really had very little influence on you, or, or I, I should say no influence at all, really. Um, people don't do that in other countries, by the way. Nobody in China is going, well, I'm a quarter Korean, a 10th South African. No, they're not doing that. They're Chinese and they're proud of it. They're saying, I'm Chinese. So why not be American? I mean, America was it was an unsettled, wild, uh, frontier country only 150 years ago. America's a very young country. So if your family's been here for a long time, then your family was here uh, when the country was still being built and, and tamed and formed. And that's awesome. That is a heritage. That is history. That is American history, American heritage. And you should be proud of it. Stop trying to comb through your ancestry so that you can say, well, I, I'm 116th uh, Mongolian. Who cares? That doesn't mean anything. That's had no, no influence on you whatsoever. You are American, period. Be it. Um, all right. Switching gears. So over the weekend, speaking of Americans, American, um, American pastor Andrew Brunson was released after two years in a Turkish, um, a Turkish prison. He had been arrested on charges of of Christianization, which yes, that is that that's a real thing in, in many countries across the world. Uh, Christianization is a is a crime that you can commit. 
and the Trump administration negotiated for his release, and he finally arrived home. And there was a wonderful scene at the White House where Pastor Brunson was thanking Trump and prayed for him, prayed over him. It was a great scene. But I think um, I think Pastor Brunson's plight, and as far as I know, he hasn't he hasn't spoken much yet about about his actual experiences in prison, which I'm sure were not pleasant experiences. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear that story eventually, but his plight brings our minds back or, or, or ought to bring our minds back anyway, to the problem of Christian persecution across the world. Remember he was arrested for being Christian. That was his crime. And that is a crime, as I said, in many countries. In fact, there was a recent report um, released a few months ago that said uh, that Christian persecution today is worse now than it's ever been in history. E- you know, China, Egypt, India, Iraq, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, um, Turkey, Saudi Arabia. The situation is very bad in all these countries. Christians are arrested, tortured, killed, um, persecuted in, in many other ways. Their, their churches are burned down, and they're their very existence, their faith, their existence has been criminalized. There's a story in Newsweek of all places about this problem uh, a few months ago. Let me read a little bit of that to you just to give you the, just so you understand what's happening. It says, the persecution and genocide of Christians across the world is worse today than, quote, at any time in history. And Western governments are failing to stop it. A report from a, from a Catholic organization said, the study by Aid to the Church in Need said the treatment of Christians has worsened substantially in the past two years compared with the two years prior and has grown more violent than any other period in modern times. Not only are Christians more persecuted than any other faith group, but ever-increasing numbers are experiencing the very worst forms of persecution, the report said. The report examined the plight of Christians in China, Egypt, India, Iran, Iraq, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, uh, Syria, Turkey, over the period lasting from 2015 until 2017. And the research showed that in that time, Christians suffered crimes against humanity. Some were hanged, some were crucified. Um, It says Saudi Arabia was the only country where the situation did not get worse, but that doesn't mean it got any better. The report put a special focus on Middle Eastern countries like Iraq and Syria, where the authors argued Christians would have been entirely wiped out if it weren't for military action and the assistance of Christian humanitarian organizations. Um, and it talks about the situation for Coptic Christians in Egypt, um, and then for Christians in, in various African countries, it's very bad as well. So this is, a, this is a widespread problem across the globe, yet despite this Newsweek article, it gets very little attention. Um, even though every once in a while you have a story like the pastor being freed, which got a little bit of attention uh, from the mainstream media. Why isn't it getting more attention? Well, as I think I've explained before, I think the main reason, well, there are two reasons we don't pay attention that much to Christian persecution across the globe. The first reason is that it's far away, and it's just hard for us to care about things that are far away. So it's similar to if there's a if there's a natural disaster in Indonesia, um, that's not going to get our attention as much as a disaster in the Florida Panhandle, because these things are closer to us, and and uh, and to a certain extent, you know, and to a certain extent, that makes sense. 
it makes sense for us to to care particularly especially about the things that are close to us that's a very human thing it's a very normal thing um but when it comes to the persecution of christians overseas i think it seems as though we've we've basically entirely ignored it at least the media has like it doesn't matter at all and that of course is not okay that's not natural that's not human and what's the reason for that what's the special reason for ignoring the persecution of christians overseas i think that um that the reason is that Christians have been historically and are today on a massive scale victims. Christians are, in a very real sense, a victim group. Not in every country, certainly, but, but then there's no group of people in the world anymore who are victims in every country, okay? There isn't, which, is a, which is a great thing. But there isn't any type of person, any demographic left that is violently persecuted everywhere across the globe. Um, unborn babies may come the closest to that designation. There are 50 million abortions across the globe every year. So I think they, I think they fall into that category. But among born people, that doesn't really exist, which again is, is great. That's, we should celebrate that. Um, yet the victimization of Christians is endemic. It is an epidemic. Maybe it may not be happening everywhere, but it's happening in many, many places. But we don't talk about it because, remember, in America, victimization is power. Everybody wants to be a victim. And the whole point of identity politics, like we talked about yesterday, it's to divide people into two groups, victim and victimizer. And the left has made it very easy for itself. And it's said that basically everyone except for white Christian males belong in the victim group. So if they acknowledge that actually Christians, Christians of all races and ethnicities are being persecuted across the globe, then it throws off their whole system. Also, I think the left, uh, it considers the victim title to be a great honor, to be a very trendy and, and kind of cool thing, to be a victim. And so they don't, want, they don't want to share that title with Christians because they hate Christians. And indeed, on a global scale, they would, they would say that Christianity is perhaps the greatest villain of all. That's the narrative that they've established, and this just interferes with that narrative. And that's why they tell stories about the Inquisition and the Crusades, uh, because they have, to go back, they have to go back centuries to find even an arguable or alleged example of Christians systematically persecuting anyone. That's why they have to immediately, you know, they go to the Crusades, it's a thousand years ago. So that should really tell you something, that when, when people want to make a case that the Christian church has been this violent uh, persecutor, the, the first thing they do is they go back a thousand years to the Crusades. And of course, we could talk about how the Crusades are misunderstood and they were uh, largely, at least they were originally launched as defensive struggles against, um, against Muslim aggression. But, but even aside from that, even if that is an example and it was just straightforward, the Christians were evil um, and, and they did terrible things and there was nothing redeeming about it. Well, that was a thousand years ago. And the fact that you have to go back a thousand years, that should really tell you something. So, but, but again, they're, this, is, this is all about the narrative and their, their, their narrative, their entire worldview is really thrown for a loop if they admit Christians into the persecuted club. They can't do that because their, their philosophy on life hinges on this idea of persecution and victimization 
And so they've got a very strict formula and they just can't, they can't fit Christians into the, into the victimized group. They can't do it. It ruins everything. Um, and so I think that combined with how distant all of this is to us geographically, um, those two things together just um, are, are the two ingredients that are needed to com basically completely ignore what this report, I think, accurately calls genocide. But, um, you know, we, we, and when I say we, I mean those of us who are not on the left and who are not Christian haters, we should not ignore it. Um, this is something that we should be paying attention to. Thanks, everybody, for, for listening. Thanks for watching. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.